relationship that's focused on, you know, child and youth well-being, that's that's really an ideal scenario and kind of put put conflict and differences aside and really just put the kids first. You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 164 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Welcome to the show. The other night we were watching a UFC fight and I said I'm going to start announcing the podcast like the guy that announces the fighters. <laughs> All right, go ahead, try it. Welcome to podcast 164 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. <laughs> okay. How was that? And in this corner, we have Lori Sims. <laughs> <laughs> in that corner, we have the world that hates Nacho. <laughs> okay. So our guest today is Todd Jensen. Todd is a research associate in the Jordan Institute for Families and a research assistant professor in the School of Social Work at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Cool. So we talked to him a little bit about blended families. And what did he say? I'm not telling. <laughs> Got to listen, right? Actually, he was interviewed by the lady that wrote the Atlantic article about Nacho Kids. Okay. I said, I got to have him on the podcast. Well, cool. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, especially when you look at data and all that stuff, which I do talk about in the interview, how it is hard to find data on step families. Mm-hmm. Because when you go to the doctor, it doesn't say, are you part of a step family? <laughs> and it should. It should. It really should. And if so, first step family, second step family, what? <laughs> yeah. How many times have you been down this road? Exactly. I do need to say, um, last podcast, I made a comment that, you know, you and I were talking about um, how you were trying to explain how you hear things that I don't say. <laughs> yes. And so I made a comment and I said, nobody understands anything that you just said through the whole intro. And if anybody understands what you're talking about, then they can email me and I would not get a single email saying that they understood what you're talking about. <laughs> and I have to say that somebody had to prove me wrong and send me an email. I love you, somebody. So Thank you. You made my day. I won't say her last name, but her first name is Ivy, to which you are now considered Poison Ivy to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's to me, she's considered Awesome Ivy. <laughs> so I don't know if you paid this lady to do this or what, but she did email me. Just like I asked and said, I understood exactly what Lori was saying. It's like, oh, See? Gosh, See? Whatever. Whatever. Ivy. Ivy. <laughs> whatever. Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> David said, you aren't going to believe this. And showed me the email. Actually, I got copied on the email, too. And I'm like, oh, yes. I love it. Mm-hmm. But apparently, David didn't get the email that I sent him. The same time that we were recording, it said, I understood what Lori was saying. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that one. Of course you didn't. <laughs> Conveniently. Conveniently. Well, David, 
we may have an announcement that you and I may be speaking at an event in Santa Barbara, California. I love how you use the podcast <laughs> to tell me things like this for the first time. Like, I don't know these things until we're recording. And you're like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I've uh, gave us something to do. I don't or, have all the details yet, <laughs> but there's an event being planned in Santa Barbara, California for October 1st weekend. And I'm busy that weekend. Nope. You were busy the weekend before, and it got moved. So we will keep you posted and let y'all know once we confirm everything. Maybe I'm busy the weekend after. I do have so I do have something in October. I got to go. Oh to, crap! Is it that run? Oh yeah, that's what it is. The first weekend is the uh, is the run, and then like the second weekend, I'm speaking. Where am I speaking? Pennsylvania, I believe it is. Okay. Well, I don't know. You might just not have to run. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll let y'all know. But I was excited that we were invited. Absolutely. So what is it like a step family conference, step mom conference? It's a step mom conference, but they said you could come. Oh, thank you. Well, see, then I I won't be missed if I don't show. No, no, they want you there. They want to meet the myth, the legend. They said I could attend, not should or I must. That's not what she said. So what I'm hearing you say. I said, I'm bringing David. She said, awesome. (laughs) What I'm hearing you say is that this is an optional event for me. No, it's not. And I should stay home and enjoy the quiet. Well, you just told me you had to run some kind of thing. (laughs) Um, actually, I, I'm trying to look at your calendar, and it's not letting me in now. So good, I blocked you. <laughs> I didn't block you. <laughs> well, I think they're also going to have an event in Florida, November, December. Mm-hmm. So if you can't make the one in October, maybe we can do the other one. Okay, we'll see. But we have another announcement to make. We do. Yes. What is that? I'm afraid. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> Several weeks ago, David made a comment that there was some stuff going on, but that we couldn't tell y'all. Until the next of kin were notified. Yes, until the next of kin were notified. The next of kin has been notified, and David is going to be a granddaddy again. Yep. And I'm going to be a step-grandma again. Yep. Sweet little Ethan. (laughs) Is going to be a daddy. Yes, he is. What's so cool about it is Gideon, Kay and Avery's baby, is going to be right at a year old when this baby's born. Mm-hmm. And I grew up hanging out with my cousins, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. But we were a couple of years apart. Mm-hmm. So, very excited. And it's a girl. I know. They already know this. I know. How cool is that? Yeah. What wasn't cool was me being notified like six months into the pregnancy. <laughs> David? <laughs> I'm like, I know, but it didn't give me any time to to prep myself for this. And so it's almost like, hey, I'm having a baby. Oh, by the way, <laughs> you need to start buying some stuff for the shower. <laughs> it's like in a couple of weeks. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Slow down. <laughs> I'm supposed to have like eight or nine months here. <laughs> well, you know. That's how things happen sometimes. Yep, it's true. All right, so enough about us, y'all. Let's get to listening. 
Hi. Today we have Todd Jensen. Hey, Todd, how are you? I'm doing very well. It's, it's nice to join you. Nice to have you. So tell us a little bit about you and what you do with blended families. Sure. Yeah, so I'm a a research assistant professor in the School of Social Work at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And a a good chunk of my research focuses on step-family relationships, the various factors that seem to promote them, and also some of the positive outcomes that can be associated with having high-quality relationships, especially for youth in Mm step-families. And so um, I've drawn from large nationally representative data sets to answer, you know, various research questions on this topic. I have various collaborators across the country, and we've worked together on some of these questions. But um, it's really been, I think, uh, a goal for me, uh, really a professional mission for me to really promote space for step families, to advocate for step families, to really try to prevent the the imposition of specific scripts that step families ought to be a certain way or function in certain ways. And so I've really endeavored to empower step families through through my research. That's great. I have to ask, are you in a step family or were you in a step family when you were younger? I was. And I think you often see this, folks going into research topics that they have some sort of personal familiarity with. And that's certainly my case. How old were you when you became a stepkid? So I was 13 or 14 years old. Oh, a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Youngest of youngest of uh, four boys. So I had three older brothers. So we were all right there in our adolescent years. That sounds fun. <laughs> Did you have a good relationship with your step parents? So me and my older siblings, we lived with my our biological father, and he had remarried. And so we lived with our father and stepmother. And our stepmother brought a child of her own who was about two years younger than me, so 11 years old. And, you know, it, it's, it ebbed and flowed. I think there were moments that things were cordial. There were, there were moments of tension. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a mixed a mixed bag overall for us in in our experience. Do you still have a relationship with her now? I would say that we are still cordial and and we still remain fairly connected, but I I wouldn't say that the relationships run especially deep. But that also, I mean, that doesn't just hold true for my I'm I'm making sure I don't say too many things that would put me in a <laughs> in a tight spot if family were to listen to this. But I wouldn't say that relationships are especially close, uh, but they're they're cordial. Okay. And was your mom still in the picture? Yeah. So she she lived nearby and was very much involved in our lives and, and continued to uh, offer support and, and resources and, and definitely try to be an asset to us as we were kind of making our way to adulthood. So she was very much in, in our lives. Did she get remarried? She never remarried. She she had been in various uh, relationships, um, but no, never, never uh, remarried. Okay. So one of my questions for you is when I go to the doctor and it says married, single, divorced, whatever, there's no blended or step family option. So how do they get this data? Because we cannot seem to find enough data on step families. Yeah, this is this is a tricky issue. I think a lot of the tools that currently exist to gather information about an individual's family structure 
Those are tricky. I mean, if, even if you think about like the U.S. Census Bureau data, mm-hmm. the information they would get about the particular family structure that's within a household all depends on who's answering the questions. Right. So the number of step families tends to get underestimated consistently over time mm-hmm. for those reasons. And so I think on smaller scales, like at a doctor's office or other places, questionnaires or, or data collection tools, I think, suffer from similar issues. And, and some of these tools aren't quite uh, up to date in accommodating the, the diversity and the richness and the complexity that honestly, many, if not most families in our country and elsewhere experience. Yeah, it's definitely very complex. That's for sure. What are the, some of the things that you found from your research? As far as for us, we have found, for example, that, of course, the stepmom in particular is usually expected to be mom. Yeah, there's, I think there's a decent amount of research that highlights what we might call this kind of gendered uh, experience of step family formation. And I think that that is often the case that, that women in particular feel this extra pressure to perform in certain roles that stepfathers don't necessarily experience to the same extent. So that's, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a common set of research findings in all sorts of different types of studies, both qualitative, where folks might be engaged in in-depth interviews, and also quantitative studies that draw on larger kind of survey data. I feel like a lot of that comes from way back in the day, the man went out and hunted and the woman took care of the house. Yeah, some of these things uh, can be tied to antiquated views of of gender and sex. And also, I think one thing uh, that we've seen too over time is that it was about in the 1970s where step families prior to then were really forming when, you know, a, a parental figure passed away and a new parental figure kind of transitioned into the household. So they, in many respects, kind of did subsume some of what the, the deceased parent maybe was carrying out for the family. But following 1970, it became more likely that stepfamilies were forming following parental divorce and separation. Mm-hmm. And so in those cases, you have this kind of larger, more complex network of parental figures that can transcend multiple households. and have different roles and functions in the lives of children. And so those dynamics become more uh, demanding to navigate. And they also warrant uh, careful thought and caution to think about, well, what roles make the most sense here, uh, particularly uh, with respect to promoting youth well-being? Right. And I will tell you, in the beginning, I probably did not promote youth well-being. (laughs) (laughs) I came in like a drill sergeant. Mm. Tried to fix everything that I thought was broken, tried to make them have chores, do their homework, make better grades, all this stuff. And they didn't need that. Mm. They already had a mom and they had a dad and they had grandparents that were very involved. So I was like a monkey rich in the whole scenario. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I'm certain you're not alone in that. It, it, it's an interesting situation to navigate. And there's, I think, kind of ongoing questions about, well, what is my role here? What am I supposed to do? And often in those cases, we rely upon the various scripts that are available to us. Well, it's like, oh, I know I know what a parent does. So let me just go ahead and do that. Right. 
But that doesn't often work in the way that we think it will, at least not in every case. And so I think this also speaks to a theme that I think is really woven throughout a lot of my research, and that is step family life is highly individual. What one step family needs at a particular moment in time can differ dramatically from what another step family might need at, a, at another point in time. So there's really, in a lot of my, my study findings speak to this, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach here. But what I think is maybe a universal principle that's uh, worth considering is that for, for any individual who kind of transitions into a step-parent role, and, those are, and everyone else in the step family, flexibility, I think, is warranted, mm -hmm. a, some tentativeness, an, an ability to kind of pump the brakes, get a sense of what the, the, the family culture is, think about what different roles are already in, in full operation, who are the different parental figures, and then take some time to think about, okay, well, maybe there's ways that I can fit into these existing dynamics in ways that are mutually beneficial for everyone involved. And I mean, easier said than done, right? As sometimes I bring with me as a new step parent expectations and desires and things that I long for and want to have happen in my life and in my family relationships. So it can be tricky to navigate. And I'm, I'm really empathetic to the, the demands uh, that new step parents uh, often face. But I think there definitely is value in trying to approach those transitions with flexibility, with tact. Yes with some reservation and just to see what can be built organically over time with some patience. You are so right with everything that you said. There is not a one size that fits all. I know that we get a lot of backlash with the nacho kids method because some people think it's crazy, but we also see some of those people that thought it was crazy a year ago in my group now saying, I didn't understand this before, but now I do. Right. Life changes. Time changes things. Yeah. I think that the kind of Nacho Kids philosophy, I think in, in many respects gets uh, misunderstood by some, thinking that, oh, you're saying that I can never be a, a truly parental figure for these kids. What are you talking about? I am like a parent to them. They're my kids and, and I'm their parent. And my response to that is, well, you're, you're probably right. That, that might be exactly what you eventually cultivated over time in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can happen when children are especially young, when step-family formation occurs. For really young kids, if a step-parent comes into the picture, yeah, that step-parent can be simply a parent to those kids. It's all they've ever known in, in some situations. Right. And there's so many variables. For instance, my stepkids were nine, 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 and 11 when we got married. And my son was four. So his relationship with my husband is a lot different. That's right. Yeah, the age of children is a huge factor when thinking about how step family relationships form and, and what different functions they take on. Mm -hmm. That's something we definitely see throughout uh, a lot of published studies. And also, how involved the other bio parent is. Absolutely. If you've got a bio parent that's bashing the step parent on the other side, of course that's going to make the kids not want to bond with that person because they have those loyalty binds. Yeah, that's right. Kind of navigating those parental figure relationships and the co-parenting relationships is really critical work. It's very important. 
I think in ideal scenarios, you have this network of adults that can really come together, even if they're not especially uh, unified on everything, but if they can come together and form a really cooperative, collaborative relationship that's focused on, you know, child and youth well-being, that's that's really an ideal scenario and kind of put put conflict and differences aside and really just put the kids first. Right. And it's very unfortunate because we see where there's so much hatred between the bio parents that that hate outweighs the love for the child. Yeah, it's it is tricky because in, in all of this, I, I know I can easily kind of veer off into to ideal scenarios, but the, the the reality of a lot of this is yeah, we're human beings. We have emotions, we have emotional bruises, we have pain. Mm-hmm. Some of that, some of those things we carry with us throughout our entire lives, and they show up in these relationships. And that's right. As an adult in a step family who's connected to children, sometimes our hurt, our pain, our suffering can undermine all of the things that we aspire to do on behalf of of the kids involved. That's, I think, a very real, a very real uh, challenge. Right. And it's not like I came in thinking, I'm going to make these kids hate me. I did it with the best of intentions and with love. Of course. But it was just wrong for us. That's right. That's right. And perhaps that's what the Nacho Kids philosophy is about is start off with the assumption that you don't know exactly how you should be operating in this context. Right. And take the time to explore and investigate and to think about what makes the most sense. What are the the children involved looking for? What would they benefit from? What are the things I might be looking for? How can we come to an arrangement and slowly build toward it together in a way that makes sense for us. And honestly, that's one of the things that I find most, maybe the most unique and exciting and kind of beautiful about set family formation is it's this really fascinating opportunity for individuals to really co-create together really interesting relationships and ways of interacting that make sense for them, right. that help them accomplish the things that they want to accomplish, all taking into account all of the adults and parental figures that are involved in the equation. So although those things are definitely challenging, it's also a kind of uh, amazing and exciting to think about these opportunities to kind of create roles for ourselves as new step-parents or relationships between parents, step-parents and their kids. Or even between the kids. Yeah. Because I know my son, I laugh because he's an only child, but every other week he had four brothers. Right. And with him being such a young age, he refers to them as the brothers. And if somebody asks them how many brothers he has, he normally says four. Right. But since they were older, if you ask them, they will say three and a stepbrother. Right. Yes. And again, it just goes to show the difference of how age impacts all this. Absolutely. I want to ask your opinion on something. And... I don't know if you know the perfect answer, we'll say. One thing with my stepkids, when they would come back from their moms, I would say, hey, glad you're home. Did you have a good time? Things like that. If they did not re-engage with me, it made me mad. So I stopped doing that. And I let them lead the relationship. But a lot of people will say, 
those kids are rude. Their parents should make them say hey to the step parent when they enter the room or bye when they leave. And I didn't feel that it was right to make them do those things. Of course, in the time that it happened, I did. I'm thinking, you need to make those kids respond to me. But in hindsight, making them do something was only damaging the relationship between me and them. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that when someone, as far as they may consider it rude, that the stepkids aren't acknowledging them when they say, hey, from your aspect of the child and what's best for them? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a really... I think valuable observation that you made in that in that moment, right? You were well intentioned. You wanted to re-engage with them as they kind of re-entered the household. Mm-hmm. And they weren't quite as responsive, maybe, as you're anticipating. And so thinking about what is that about? And I noticed that the more I press that, it seems to be a little counterproductive. So I'm going to kind of take a step back, follow their lead a bit, get get a sense of of their emotional temperature and and see see what happens. Yeah, they, these are great questions. One thing we see in a lot of the research is that there are actually a, an amazing variety of step-parent-child relationships that both the step-parents and the stepchildren have described experiencing in their life. Mm-hmm. Some of those relationships uh, could be described as distant acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And for some, that works beautifully. In other cases, you have step-parents that come in, like we've talked about, that take on a very real kind of what we traditionally think of as a parent, that kind of parent-child relationship. And for some, that works beautifully too. Right. Um, And then all of these interesting things in between where, well, maybe the step-parent and child are more like friends and they chit-chat about social things. Uh, In some of my research, I've seen step-parents take on roles that are much more academically oriented Mm -hmm. and, and focused on school-related work and grades and things happening around school. In other cases, you have parents that are really kind of intimately involved in almost every aspect of the child's life. So where where it gets tricky is is if the step-parent or the child are expecting or desiring something that differs from the other person. Right. So for children, especially as they kind of get into those adolescent years, well, it's likely they might be displaying some behavior we'd call rude to their own parent, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone, you know, a step parent or others in the family. And so it's interesting to think about, you know, what, what are these children looking for in these relationships and what is the step parent looking for and how can those things be discussed and explored in ways that make sense, all benefiting from patience and from flexibility and from empathy so that um, some sort of compromise maybe can be can be made. But yeah, sometimes those things don't line up perfectly all the time. Right. And my husband may not have seen it as rude when they didn't respond to me, depending on how he was raised as a child. Sure. Yeah, there could be like just kind of unique family culture that a step-parent enters into, and they might come from a family culture that's dramatically different. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe... Maybe in your case, right, in the family you grew up in, it would be absolutely absurd to not be responsive to someone asking you a question. Oh, yeah. You'd go get a hickory switch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so maybe you're coming into a situation where, yeah, yeah maybe that's not ideal, but it, it happens. Sometimes kids get, get a little moody and, and we all just kind of move on. And so there's that kind of interesting element to all this, too, is, is having to navigate different expectations that can be built over time, given the different experiences we've had in our own families and our own relationships over time. 
Tell us a little bit more about the research that you've done. Yeah, so some of my research has looked at the different roles and functions that step-parents can take on in the lives of, of youth. Mm-hmm. And I've looked at both stepfathers and stepmothers. And I've already really kind of begun to speak to some of that, right? There's some rich variability in those roles that can be beneficial for youth. It just, again, depends on the, the situation and depends on the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've looked at different patterns or constellations of relationship quality across different members of a step family that incorporate information about, you know, a resident parent, the resident step parent, the non-resident parent, the relationship between the the parent and the step parent, just to kind of map out what are some of the experiences that youth tend to have across all of these relationships at any given point in time. Mm -hmm. And are those things connected to things like well-being and other other uh, variables? Um, I've looked at the the relationship between step parent child relationship quality and child well-being. I actually recently reviewed several dozen studies that speak to that topic, finding that high quality step parent child relationships I think have a unique role potentially in promoting the psychological and behavioral and academic well-being of of stepchildren. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times as adults, we struggle with the step family stuff and blended family stuff, but we expect the kids to get it right out the gate. We forget that they are struggling also and that we can actually have a positive impact on these kids and be more of a confidant and a mentor rather than trying to parent them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. They're one of the interesting uh, aspects of, of step family life is that these are situations just like many family situations. These are situations that children didn't uh, decide on. Mm-hmm. You're right, they didn't, they didn't make some of these choices, but the adults around them made those choices. To, you know, for in terms of taking on a new family structure, and they don't often have the language or the skills or even the emotional regulation abilities to manage some of what they're experiencing mm-hmm. well. And so, yeah, I think they can have have some struggles, and th- those struggles can manifest in lots of different ways. Right? They, they might uh, manifest in acting out or ignoring someone, <laughs> like we were, we're talking about earlier, mm-hmm. or Maybe they'll just internalize it and experience some inward anxiety. And so, yeah, I have a lot of empathy for for children in general, but then in these situations where, yeah, there's just things are changing. And I think uh, the children involved warrant a great deal of, of empathy and, and patience because, yeah, they're trying to figure all this out as well. Yeah. And I'll be honest, when we were in the midst of our struggles and on the verge of divorce, I didn't take into consideration that the kids were struggling. All I could feel was my hurt and my pain. Yeah. Which I guess is normal. Yeah, I think it's incredibly normal. I, all of this, really all of what we're talking about here is is humanity. Yes. <laughs> Adults, children, any age, at any time, there are emotional experiences happening. There are reactions to their environments and things that are changing. And everyone, I think, is trying to do the best they can. They're trying to, to do things the way they think they should. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard. It can be beautifully rewarding in, in many cases, but it, it still can be challenging and demanding. Yes. I know a lot of times 
we see where people do come in with the best of intentions. And it just, like I said, it just doesn't work that way. But then there's a lot of resentment that's built up, and it's hard for them to get over this stuff. But my thing is they need to learn how to get over it, not just sweep it under the rug, but how to deal with it so they can rebuild these relationships that have been broken. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they can't be fixed. Some of them can't. We know that. But I know with my stepkids, once I started what's now the Nacho Kids Method with them, our relationships, it took time for us to get there, but we have great relationships. They'll call me now and tell me stuff they don't tell their dad. Yes, that that beautifully describes what's often referred to as the intimate outsider role. That this can be very unique to step parents where they can take on this role of confidant with their stepchildren and really get into some topics that might be a little too charged for the children's biological parents. Mm-hmm. That's it's actually, yeah, we see that um, noted by practitioners who have decades of experience working with step families. And we see that in some of the research literature as well. What are some of the other titles you would say that you have found like the intimate outsider role? What are some other roles that you've defined in your research? Yeah, I've noted, I've, I've started to allude to some. So in some of my research, there's a, an, a, an approach to the step-parent-child relationship that I refer to as casually connected, mm-hmm. right? And that's where step-parents and, and children might every once in a while engage with each other in interactions that span multiple dimensions of family life, maybe some recreational things, maybe some other things. Mm-hmm. Then there's the academically oriented type, which again is very much focused on school-related activities. Mm -hmm. There's an approach I call versatile and involved. And that's where step-parents are highly involved across pretty much every domain of family life. And actually, another thing I've seen in in my research is a a kind of a pattern of step-parent-child interaction that I refer to as disconnected, Mm -hmm. where the youth report not really having any type of interaction with their step-parent in the last month. And that one's interesting because in my research, we see that youth who report having that experience also seem to have um, above average levels of depression and above average levels of of delinquent behavior and below average levels of self-esteem. And so that one's a little tricky to think through because, you know, we just know that those things are associated with each other. We don't know what is causing what, right? It might be that youth who happen to be more depressed and are having a harder time are opting to not engage mm-hmm. with their step-parent. Those are some of the patterns I've seen. There, there are other studies too that describe step-parent roles being like a friend, being an acquaintance, being a mentor, mm-hmm. and and again, actually being indeed a parent to them. So those are some of the things I've seen. And have you seen that these roles can change? I think the roles do change. There's some really good work out there that talks about, on average, the amount of time it takes for step families to really start to feel stable and predictable and for step parent child relationships to kind of take on new life in a way that is, is mutually beneficial. And on average, that process takes about four to five years. Lord, it it was seven to eight when we got married. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, no, and and it's going to vary, I think, in every situation. It's going to vary depending upon how old or young children are. It's going to depend on probably how many other co-parental figures are in the picture, right? I think there's a lot of things that can shape that timeline. Right. And in fact, in some situations, there, there might not be this kind of destination that everyone wants that they then all get to together. Right. So that can be a challenge. I think a big part of the journey, again, is to just really explore explicitly, like, what is our destination? Like, what do we want this family to be? What do we want it to look like? And those, I think, are the really meaningful, helpful conversations because they help step families overcome the uncertainty, the unclarity, the ambiguity of, of the transition to step family life. And they, they make space for folks to co-create together a situation that they all want. Right. I know if you would have interviewed my stepkids right after I started not showing and asked them how much interaction they'd had with me in the last month, they'd be like, "Mm, none, probably. (laughs) So that's what made me think of, oh, wait a minute. These these change because I've been several of these roles. Yeah. And we do see a lot of people that think not showing is hurtful for the stepkids. I think it's important to remember with the Nacho Kids method, our goal is actually to re-engage with the stepkids in a role that suits everybody. Bingo. Yeah, that's that makes beautiful sense to me. That's right. Because rather than engaging right out of the gate in a way that the step parent thinks they should, but the children aren't responding positively to. And just sticking to that approach time, time and time again, yeah, that can get counterproductive. And so it makes perfect sense that you and your own experience have seen a change in, in a shift in the role that you either attempted to take on or eventually kind of came into organically, finally maybe arriving at a, at a role and a, a relationship dynamic that was mutually beneficial for everyone involved. And it might've just made sense and it just took time to get there. So I think it is very dynamic. Yeah. And it took us a while to heal because we did have the stepkids 11 out of 14 days in the beginning. And ironically, when things started going bad is when we started doing 50, 50 with their mom. And Mm -hmm. so, like I said, there was a lot of resentment and stuff. And so we took almost a year to heal before I started reengaging fully well, not even fully. There's still some things that I stay back from. It's just I'm not going there <laughs> for for yeah. my sanity and to keep the relationship we have. Yeah, I hear you, and and I think you know that's that's valuable context there. You know, having those kids when they're kind of spending half of their time with their father, half of their time with their mother. Yeah, and, and I think we alluded to this concept earlier, but th- this concept of loyalty binds. Yes, and something children can really experience, and so if they're kind of spending half of their time with their mother, then they come back home and they have their father and stepmother. It can create this internal tension of like, who, who, who do I pledge my allegiance to here? And am I being disloyal to my mother if I allow myself to engage with and really connect deeply with my stepmother? And so those tensions are, can, be, can be quite heavy. And sometimes children really have no idea how to manage that right. well. And it's really stressful. Well, and not to mention transition days. It takes them a while to get adjusted to the other home. That's right. So That's right. Yeah. I remember the first time that David sent me a text 
when after I started the Nacho Kids method and he sent me a text, he said, be prepared. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, something's <laughs> wrong. It's bad. He said, the kids want to share something with you. And they're asking me if you're home and they can't wait to see you. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was great because that's when we realized that what I had been doing was working. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, when there's that space, right for the for the kids to get the sense that okay, my step parents not trying to take the place of another parental figure that that I'm trying to to remain loyal to or to stay connected to. They're not kind of moving into a role that I think is threatening my relationship with these other parental figures. And instead, if there's that space for them to just get a feel for what that relationship with a step parent could be, right? Where does that relationship fit for them? Then, yeah, I think they're going to be more likely to pursue in, in a positive way. Well, if you think about it, I didn't date them, I didn't get to know them like I did their dad. Because I would only see them, we lived about an hour apart, so I would only see them every other weekend and every other Wednesday because otherwise I was at home. And so I didn't have a long time to build that relationship with them. Right. And it's hard to sit back sometimes and say, I'm going to let the kids lead this relationship. But that's the best thing that I found worked for us. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that if I had one uh, kind of anthem <laughs> for for the work I do and for a lot of the things I talk about, it's what works for us. Yep. What works for us? That I think if that's the driving question and it's met with empathy and a, a, a spirit of inclusion where children maybe are invited into these conversations, like what works for us? I think that that really makes room for really remarkable relationships to to potentially grow. And they might look nothing like what we'd expected. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because all the research we did before we got married, the counselors we talked to, all the stuff we did did not benefit us at all. In fact, it hurt us. That's that's right. There's a lot. There can be a lot of well-meaning resources out there that offer advice and counsel that doesn't necessarily align with the, the kind of rich complexities of, of a particular step family situation. And in those cases, it can be quite counterproductive. Yeah, it was almost like force the nuclear family on your blend. That's probably the antithesis of what, <laughs> what tends to work well. And again, folks might grow into that in a way that works for them. Mm-hmm. But it's not guaranteed, and it might not even be desirable for many or all family members in a particular situation. Right. Exactly. This is something that I it almost it makes me incredibly excited. I mean, just think about this for a moment. There's so much value in kind of liberating ourselves from what others or society thinks the step family should be. Yes. We can throw all that out the window and just say, what do we want to be? Yes. What do we all want to be? How do we all get there together? How do we honor and respect each other's preferences and desires and needs and and create something that is incredibly unique to us? It's a beautiful idea in my view. It is. And it's funny when you said that about being freeing, because I remember 
once I realized that the counselor kept telling me that day, they are not your kids, which I already knew, but it hit a certain way, that it was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. Right. And I felt like me again. And I had lost me in those previous years because I was so determined to make this blend be what society told me it needed to be. Yeah, you were in a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And, and when that message of, hey, you can take a step back here and it, it takes the pressure off and then you can breathe and you can say, oh, I don't have to be the thing that everyone's telling me I have to be. And instead, you get to become with your stepchildren, whatever it is that you all want to be together. Right. And if that means you don't have a relationship because neither or one of you don't want one, that's okay as well. Yeah. you can, And there's actually the, the, a lot of the research shows that there are some situations where a step parent and a child, just depending on the circumstances of when they came into each other's lives, they just maintain a cordial acquaintanceship and it works great for them. Mm-hmm. It meets the, the needs that they have. Again, I think where it can get tricky is if there are step parents and there are children that are almost on opposite ends of what they would prefer to have with each other. Right. But I still think there's a lot of value in just being patient, flexible, letting things build organically. And you might actually arrive at something that's somewhere in the middle, not quite what anyone expected, but ends up being beautifully rewarding. Yes. I think my relationship and our blend now is even better than I imagined it would be in the very beginning. And I would not trade all the struggles we went through for anything because that's why we have such good, strong relationships. Yeah. You let, you let something grow, Mm -hmm. right? You didn't, you didn't show up to the plot of land and dig a pit and try to throw, you know, a 30 year old tree in there. You planted some seeds, watered it, gave it some sunshine and say, let's see what grows here. Let's, let's see what grows. Right. A lot of people ask us, tell me exactly what I need to do give me a one through 10 of the path I need to do with the Nacho Kids method. I can't do that without information from you. (laughs) Because like you said, and everything is so different and there's so many variables. That's right. That's right. It's such an individual experience. It's unique. Um, It depends on so many different factors. But again, I think if, if we could speak to some set of universal principles that, that could be applied in maybe almost every situation, it would be these things like flexibility, patience. Be kind with your words. Yeah, kindness, empathy, assuming good intentions. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those things I think can kind of come to play no matter the circumstance. Just kind of like, you know, be patient, be observant really be mindful of how children maybe are experiencing things emotionally and what challenges they're facing. Be aware of your own challenges and how those are manifesting and how you're speaking and and behaving. Right. And uh, those sorts of things I think are helpful. So I I just, I just really like the idea of pausing, taking stock, being patient, being observant, being flexible. Yes. I remember one of the first blogs that I wrote was about the empty cereal box. That empty cereal box that day, I remember I came home. I still remember like it was yesterday. I was in a great mood, had a great day at work, come home, go to put groceries up. And I even don't enjoy shopping at the grocery store, but apparently I had a good day that day at the grocery store. (laughs) 
And I went to put up the cereal that I had bought, and there was an empty cereal box. Oh, my gosh. The exorcist is all I can think of because that's how I felt. It drove me insane. (laughs) But then I realized it's not the empty cereal box. It's what it represented to me. Yeah. And to me, it represented lazy, unthankful youngins that were going to live with me till they were 50. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a step-parent can represent to a stepchild, this is the finality that my parents will never get back together. Yeah. In your research, have you noticed that the hardest relationship or the toughest relationship seems to be between stepmoms and stepdaughters? Yeah, I think we do see, again, some of these these gendered dynamics mm-hmm. that pop up and they can play out with respect to, yeah, this, with the step-parent and the children. And again, I, I think a lot of those are rooted in, in these kind of pressures to approach relationships in particular ways that really don't, may not make sense and, and shouldn't be tied to someone's biological sex at all. Right. But I think, yeah, I think those tensions can occur uh, in large part because I think stepmothers are confronted with messages that they ought to be doing more. They ought to be engaged much more like a parent and that can generate conflict. And so, again, if we can just liberate step parents to to go back to the drawing board and to just breathe and and think through how this how these relationships could be optimized for the given situation at hand. Mm -hmm. I personally feel that if. You could take how you were when you were dating this person and stay that same way with the stepkids after you get married or after you move in together. And then, like you said, let things form organically. Just because you moved in or just because you got married doesn't give you the right to come in and be the dictator. Yeah, the research is pretty consistent on this front where uh, most studies that look at this question have found that in most cases, it's not a great idea for a new step parent to take on a disciplinarian role in the lives of their stepchildren right out of the gate, if ever. Yes. So in some cases, step parents, again, can kind of grow organically into more of that mm-hmm. after a, a more solid foundation in that relationship has been built. But in most cases, especially right off the bat, it's it's ill-advised, uh, and especially when uh, the stepchildren are in their adolescent years. And that can be as simple as telling them to brush their teeth. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that, what's the big deal? I just told them to brush their teeth. Right. Because again, like your cereal box scenario, it's not necessarily the content of, of that exchange. It's what it represents. Mm-hmm. Who are right? you? My daddy should be telling us this. Or, and two, you mentioned something about how the step-parent trying to replace the other by a parent. So like for me, me trying to replace their mom. But I also found I was overpowering their dad. Mm. The kids would say, he would say something to the kids and they would say, is that coming from you or from Lori? Mm. They knew where it was coming from because... Before I was in the picture, he didn't care if they jumped on the furniture. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden, it's no jumping on the couch. Well, is that coming right. from you or Lori? <laughs> right, right. And of course, I felt like his response should be, does it matter <laughs> who it's coming from? I'm telling you. But to them, it did. Yeah. For, I mean, yeah, from their perspective, like, oh, our, our kind of uh, business as usual seems to be shifting. Well, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's the cause of that? 
that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. My parents, they probably should have divorced way before they did. I was 30, I think, when they finally divorced, but they were miserable together. And I remember thinking when I was little, my mom would say, well, who are you going to go with? I mean, they talked about divorce every paycheck, it seemed like, which shows you where the issues were. And I would say, my daddy, of course. (laughs) Thank God they did not get divorced sooner when I was a teenager or something, because I probably would have had a book written about how horrible of a stepchild I was. Because I can just see me torturing some poor soul because, no, that's my daddy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I probably would have been the mini wife. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. (laughs) Well, Todd, thank you so much for being a guest. I really appreciate you sharing your time with us and giving us your experience. And keep doing the research because Lord knows we need it. It's my pleasure to, to join you. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. We're back. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Todd Jensen. I did. I really appreciate him being a guest on our podcast. And I appreciate the research that he's doing for families and stepfamilies. Mm-hmm. I'm glad somebody's doing it. Yes. You know, you, know, you talked about doing it at one time. Well, I believe... That one of my moderators is getting her master's and doing something with blended families. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good deal. She's in Dubai. Oh. I want to go to Dubai to see her. No, you just want to go somewhere because you like when it sounds like you're purchasing something. I'd like Dubai that. (laughs) I'd like Dubai this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's not a lie. <laughs> but I'm I'm doing good with my July spending freeze. Oh, is it just July? I'm, I'm really starting with gonna, July. I was really hoping it was going to be a long-term thing. Yeah, but then all these Amazon packages are still coming with your name on them. That's because I have to order things for work. <laughs> so that's not coming out of your paycheck. <laughs> Huh? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. (laughs) Maybe you should get your ears cleaned out. Yes, with the state of the world right now, I decided to give Amazon a break. Really? Yeah, just a short break. They sent me an I miss you email. (laughs) Did they really? I'm sure they did. (laughs) They probably like, we had to lay four people off because you slowed down. (laughs) (laughs) No, they sent me an email and said, we just wanted to make sure you were alive. I don't, I don't doubt that a bit. Not a bit. I said, I'm here, but my husband won't let me order from you no more. They're probably sitting there going, why don't she package these things like so we can just deliver once a week instead of every day? They have day. that option. I know that. I just don't probably, choose that option. Get, that's because you want everything as soon as possible. I don't want to wait an extra day to bundle it. Why should I? Well, I mean, if they don't give you an incentive to do it, I guess not. Right. If they t- told me I'd save three bucks. I would do that. But if there's no reason to do it, then, yeah, I want my stuff on Monday, Tuesday, want, and Wednesday. Because I don't want that big truck coming down to my driveway an extra day tearing my driveway Oh, up. but it's okay if you don't want to get stuff. We ain't talking about me right now. Uh-huh. See? Yep. Stop changing the subject. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, y'all. We're going to make this short and sweet. Yep. 
because that's what we are, short and sweet. Well, yeah, you're short, I'm sweet. All right, (laughs) folks, that is our show for today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week, and remember that life is good when you nacho. Is that the announcer voice again? No, announcer voice. When you nacho! (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.